in three, two, one. Hello, all, and welcome to the Fantasy and Sci-Fi Fanatics Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Kubal. Today, I have a very special guest, Star Z Davies. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing pretty good. It's a Monday, and I almost messed my own name up instead of someone else's for once. So (laughs) my wife's like, do you need two coffees today? And I said no, but I think I made that mistake. So tomorrow, (laughs) definitely doing two. But I got it right. So um, and we were talking before we start recording. I I did hear you on, you know, Herman's podcast, the greatest podcast in the multiverse. I loved your guys' interview. So I was teasing. I was like, I'm definitely going to steal Star on for mine and a couple other people. So I was glad that actually I could get you on so quickly. Uh, to fill in for some people um, for week uh, weekday recorded episodes. So I was really excited about that. So yeah. I'm really anxious to get started and pick your brain. So, uh, but welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we'll start with that first question, which is always one of my favorites. Uh, what has your writing journey been like up until this point? So I, I actually got off to a pretty rough start. Um, my first book was, well, I think it took me about five or six years to write and I ended up rewriting almost the entire book and then when I was like it's good it's ready let's go let's do this and I hired a cover designer and I got everything ready and I set my publication date and it released right when COVID hit and everything shut down so I had to adapt because I was already starting to get pretty knee deep in the sequel Mm-hmm. So I was like, I got to keep going. It's yeah. I'm on a train now and the trains left the station. And we're just <laughs> going with it. So, you know, just like everybody else, I had to adapt. And I think that I did pretty well adapting. Um, that book came out, you know, in 2020, in March of 2020. And now I'm sitting at 11, 12 books. Oh, wow, that's awesome. So I've, I've figured out the secret sauce for myself, at least. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Can't help but quote Good Burger there and be like, what's in your sauce, Ed? (laughs) You know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I just have to point out because I don't think certain people, um, you know, I don't certain people know that that's a pretty prolific number for, you know, three years. Um, That's a pretty prolific number for five years. So um, I'm just curious before we move on, you know, um, what is part of your secret sauce? Like, do you... I, I know a lot of people talking about writer's block and I tend to just write, like if I'm stuck on one story, I tend to go to another one and usually I have like two or three that I'm, you know, I'm working on if I do get stuck. So I was just kind of curious, like what is part of your secret sauce to, you know, to get that many books out in that short so, of time? I'm fortunate that I don't have to have a day job. Um, mm. My husband does well enough to be able to take care of the family that kind of gives me the flexibility to work my schedule strictly for writing. So mm. You know, I I think that that has a lot to do with it. The fact yeah, that yeah. I can sit down, I shove everybody out the door in the morning and I can sit down and write until I have to go pick my kids up from school in the afternoon. So, you know, that, that makes a big difference. But, you know, when it comes to things like writer's block, I I tend to force my way through it. I, I accept that it's a first draft and mm. it's probably going to get changed anyway. So, yeah. I just force myself to write something. And sometimes I go back thinking I've written garbage and find out that it's not garbage. And sometimes, sometimes it is. And you just kind of, I just force my way through and, and keep going. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Just putting, I was listening to another podcast. So like, just put something down. That blank space is the thing that creates the writer's block. And then I was actually 
listening to a um, psychology podcast where they said the same thing. So that's actually has helped me out the last, well, I guess it was a while ago now, but you know, like, right around the pandemic. So it's helped me out a lot personally is I, yeah, I just throw something down. Like even if it's garbage, yeah. I can come back and fix it later, but at least it keeps me going to the next scene or thing or whatever. So I think that's great advice. say we're already we're already getting some good popcorn stuff on a monday so i already feel pretty good <laughs> uh <laughs> i okay so i came i had somebody that asked me this the other day uh, in a private message so i thought i'd start to ask some of our guests the next couple of weeks a couple of episodes i'm just curious what has been your biggest obstacle so far in your writing career finding the readers i mean i guess it's a good one for for any independent author, that's that's probably the biggest challenge. Um, I know what I've written, and the people who have read the books have really enjoyed them, so I know they're good. Um, it's it's finding more people, and and you know you gotta you can make the snowball, but you have to have a hill to roll it down. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Finding that hill is a challenge. Yeah, yeah. I was just curious at what what was maybe one thing that you've done to try and overcome that challenge or to find new readers. Like, you know, I know like my friend Christopher G. Brenning, oh, you know, he goes out to quite a few shows, um, you know, around the local town and he just goes to, you know, he just sells a bunch of paperbacks, you know, and that's pretty much like what he does. But I know like other people, like um, my friend Sam Quinn, you know, she does a lot of TikToks. So I was just kind of curious at, you know, like what you do to kind of, you know, uh, create that hill, so to speak, and, you know, find those new readers. Yeah, I, I actually haven't done any in-person stuff yet. I think that part of it is for me was the initial shock because again, that first book came out right when everything shut down. Yeah, yeah. And and it took a while for me to get the courage to go back out into the world. And oh, yeah. since then I've been so busy writing books that I haven't by the time I find out that there's an event coming up that I might like to attend, it's too late. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, yeah. I slept on it for too long. <laughs> No, that's, no, totally. That's one of my curses is I miss the deadlines for those all the time. But I do, I mean, I've been playing with TikTok a lot um, and trying to reach more people through TikTok. And I do stuff on Instagram and those, I've played with ads and mm-hmm. sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. They're kind of a hit or miss. Yeah, so, yeah. but I've at least discovered that if it looks like it's missing and I turn the ads off and then I see the sales start to dip again. So even if it looks like it's missing, it's still hitting somewhere. Oh, interesting. So, yeah. Yeah. I I would, I, yeah. I always find it interesting with ads. I, you know, I've tried to research them a lot. I've studied a lot of Lindsay brokers, like their podcasts and things all in Angel Lalo and them. And I, I feel like I've done a lot of it and I've talked to a lot of people, but you know, it's been 10 years and everybody I talked to it again, it seems like it's, you know, pretty, pretty hit or miss. So um, yeah, it, it's interesting though, you know, cause I always, I just find it interesting. Cause uh, like uh, Jay Swift, her and I had had two interviews and she does really good with TikTok and um, she does like the Marvel talk and she just like kind of created some different stories. So hers kind of blew up. And then she was kind of like, oh, I also have these books that I'm, you know, I've written. Um, but, you know, it was interesting because she saw a little bit of sales, you know, increase, things like that. But yeah. I also think it's kind of hard sometimes, you know, to like, how do you know, right? If you're doing certain things that it's working for different advertising yeah. purposes, you know? So yeah, it gets kind of hard sometimes. But, uh, but I think you make a good point though, is that you, you said it, right? You have to kind of 
create your own hill to get that snowball going. And I think at the end of the day, you know, it really, this is a journey Vince podcast, as I always like to say, you know, sort of for people, you know, like myself who are, you know, trying to get out there, you know, and learn from, you know, professionals like yourself. So I, I think that's just great advice personally is figure out a way to create your own hill and, you know, create that snowball effect. So I think that's great it's advice. It's still weird to me when people call me a professional though. But you are though, you know, with, <laughs> with one book, you're a professional. I mean, that's the thing is I just want to uh, real quick caveat because somebody just talked about this on, uh, I can't remember if it was one of Herman's episodes or someone else's listened to, but you know, they mentioned that they're like, oh, I've written, you know, six books and, you know, they didn't think it's a big deal. And I'm like, well, you know, 99% of the population doesn't write one book, you know, and if you actually do the math for yours, that's why, again, I bring up the word prolific because, you know, particularly in three years, you know, because I would, you know, you are a professional, but it's interesting to me where, you know, other fields, right? If you've won 11 national titles in whatever sport, right, or got 11 gold medals, they would call you a professional, you know, but it's interesting that with books, right? Like you might only think you're a professional if you're Brandon Sanderson or, you know, whoever, like Daniel, like whoever, you know, you know, right. and I just think <laughs> Stephen King, you know, but again, you know, it's interesting because even the you know, person that's in the NBA or, you know, FIFA or whatever, whatever it is, right. They're on that team and they're at that level. So I would say, you know, it's the same thing, but it's always interesting to me you know, when I talk to authors or creators where, you know, you create something that most people wish they could do. And it's always interesting to me that, you know, unless it's, you know, I have a million sales or whatever people's, you well, know, judgment. I think is that part of it is because we're contained in a box, right? Like that's a good while point. we're doing it. And so, so, like literally this corner that that you see me in right now this is my box yeah, yeah and yeah. this is this is my work zone and i actually for my birthday my stepson gave me a game and he's like you got a gaming pc you can download it on your pc and i was like no no yeah. no games my on this office. computer yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. That's like what Michael R. Fletcher was talking about that at one point. He like takes off the internet so he can't even search or research stuff. He just wants to write. And I think uh I can't remember who it was. I think Jed Hearn had talked about their podcast where he like got one of those like old school little like keyboards. Um, I remember we used to use them for kids. And like, you know, you literally can only type it, it will record. You can put the USB in it, but it can't physically get to the internet. So <laughs> I totally, no, I totally you. get what you're saying there. Yeah. <laughs> very distracting <laughs> that's why I, got, I just go on the one app on my phone and i set a timer and i don't even like go off like if i go off and i'll reset the timer um and i always want like a certain time limit but i've like started to get disciplined that way otherwise if i go to tiktok or something and come back it gets very whatever i know some people time my sinks into those... that app really fast exactly yeah 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 <laughs> people will, like just turn off their apps my wife does that um a lot of times like, when she's a special ed teacher so she really will you know when she has to get into something she'll actually just move them all there's a particular time of year where all of her work happens and now with her yeah. son you know she definitely she just puts all the fun apps into this lock zone and she can't get to it at a certain point so yeah i definitely get that yeah yeah, yeah yeah anything to help productivity but yeah that's right uh so what genre or genres do you currently write in and why so most of my stuff is is more sci-fi and fantasy based um i am more of a fantasy fantasy reader but the books that I've written so far, I guess it's kind of a split um, because my original Powers series is more like a dystopian sci-fi. You know, it's everybody has superpowers, but it's futuristic technology and everything. So mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a lot of sci-fi elements that come into it as far as the technology levels go. Um, and then the Powers Legacy series is, is 
two of the characters are from that same city. So they have all of the futuristic sci-fi tech, but they leave the city. So they're going out into the post-apocalyptic wasteland. And then they end up encountering other communities that they didn't know had existed. And Mm -hmm. so those are kind of more um, fantasy-based. Like one of them has set themselves up with the monarchy and... And that's one of the big obstacles in the series is is <laughs> overcoming this this royal family. Um, and I have a historical fiction series that is, reads more like a fantasy series because it's set in Mongolia, and it's very different from all the other stuff that I've done so far. But it was a story that is based on real people and it hadn't been told before. And so I wanted to tell the story because I thought it was amazing. So it's kind of more like Game of Thrones, though. In fact, there's a lot of similarities between this true story and what happens in Game of Thrones. (laughs) But so, yeah, it has more of a fantasy feel. And the next series that I'm working on is going to be a dark epic fantasy. Oh, cool. So I'm I'm starting to lean more towards the fantasy vibe, but I'm having a hard time letting go of this Powers universe because mm. I, I like it and my readers love it. So it's hard to let go. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's super cool. Uh, well, I, I definitely like, you know, we're... First of all, I, I love when you were talking to Herman. And if anybody has not watched um, Star's interview with Herman on the greatest podcast in the multiverse, I highly recommend it. Uh, I really enjoyed it. But I just I just wanted to talk real quick because I think some people don't realize like how important historical fiction is, you know, in terms of fantasy. And, you know, and I'm a history teacher, so um, I really love history, you know, coming up with different societies and things like that. Um, but I just really liked what you had said in that interview, you know, just about the whole Game of Thrones connection. I think a lot of people, you know, forget that, you know, George R. R. Martin, you know, did a lot of research and things, you know, and really looked at a lot of royal history past, you know, and kind of, you know, molded yeah. those things well, together. The so. Dothraki society is very, very much like the Mongol society, like yeah. the way that they, they live by the horse and the way that they move, you know, they're a nomadic culture and, so there, there's a lot of similarities between yeah. just that alone. Yeah. Well, and, and I think, too, like their underutilization before being united by a strong, you know, leader who wanted more for them. Strong you know, female that, leader, by the way. Strong female. In both yeah. cases. Yeah. Uh, do, you, do you mind just talking a little? Because I, I didn't put it in the questions, but I just wanted to bring up your historical uh, fiction. Do you mind just explaining that a little bit? Because I know there's a lot of people that would really be into that, too. Um, they message me a lot when I have the historical fiction authors on. So I just I think it was sounded so cool. I'm looking forward <laughs> to reading it. So so I actually stumbled upon this story by I don't know if it was by accident or happenstance or what call it what you want. But um, when I was an undergrad, I was in a history class and we our big final was we had to find a book that was set within a certain period of time. And we had to read the book and write like this really long research paper about it. And I found Jack Weatherford's The Secret History of the Mongol Queens. And the first half of the book talked about a lot of the women that we've heard about before that were from Genghis Khan's era. The entire second half of the book was about Mandukai. And her story was amazing. And so that was like the central focus of my research paper for that class. And I had one of the 
the advisors read it over before I turned it in. And she's like, is this real? I was like, yeah. And I showed her the book and she's like, this reads like a movie. And I was like, I thought the same thing. And so I knew at that moment that I was going to have to tell the story someday. And it took me a little while to get there. That was back in 2012, I want to say. And I didn't start writing it until like 2018 or 2019. I think that was when I started putting the ideas for it together. Mm. And I actually reached out to Jack Weatherford and said, hey, I'm interested in actually writing a historical fiction based on this. Is there any anywhere you can point me for research, any advice that you can give to me? And he was amazing. Like, I wasn't expecting to hear back from him. I heard back yeah. from him within hours. Wow. And he sent me like four different emails and they had everything from his research notes to um, there were links to videos like movies that were on YouTube that were in Mongolian, but they were about her oh, and cool. um, a symphony apparently wrote an entire symphony about her. Hmm. And so he, he sent all of this information to me and then I reached out to him again and was like, I'm trying to figure out pronunciation for some of these names. And he's like, there's this really good thing called an audiobook. And I was like, oh, why did I not think of that? So I got the audiobook and listened to it so that I could figure out how to properly pronounce everybody's names because Mongolian names aren't, you know, what Americans are used to speaking. Yeah. So yeah. it was it was interesting. And I've actually had people not like the book because the names were too Chinese which I didn't understand because they're not Chinese names but whatever um <laughs> but yeah so that was kind of where the story started and it follows Mandukai who is um she's the daughter of one of the I guess you call him a noble um and her father died when she was young and when she was 16, she was married off to the great Khan, who was more of a puppet than he was a Khan. And she didn't, she was his second wife. She wasn't the first wife, which was a very common thing. Like that was no big deal. Everybody yeah. did that back in those days for their culture. But she, it was kind of a fight between her and his first wife because he did not care for his first wife. In fact, there some people believe that he and his first wife never actually consummated their marriage because he didn't. That's how he felt about her. He just didn't like yeah. her. Um, but she she rises to power because she's smarter than he is. And she ends up falling in love with his general, which. History is a little bit sketchy on the details of it, but there are hints that that is what happened. And that's what part of the symphony is about, is this, this grand forbidden love affair between the two of them. And But she ends up coming to a point where she has to choose between him and the future of the entire Mongol nation. And she, she knows what she wants, but she also knows what she has to do for the sake of everybody. And so she ends up sacrificing this great love that she has so that she can rescue the Mongol nation from collapse. And it's it's an amazing story. It really is. I, yeah, yeah. I don't want to say too much more because if people want to read it, it's it's yeah, a lot yeah, of fun. Yeah. 
it's very dark. There's, it's, it's very adult um, and it's brutal. And there's a lot of battles later in the series. There's not as many battles in the first couple of books because, well, her husband was not, he wasn't a battle con. He, he was hiding in his little corner and content to let everybody else do everything. Um, he was a puppet to other people. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's a fun story though, and she she's amazing. I mean, she rode into battle six months pregnant with twins. Oh on, wow! Like on horseback, and she rides into battle and still ends up defeating her enemies. Like yeah, if that's not something to look up to, I don't I don't know. I don't know how to identify a badass woman if that's not it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's totally true. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Well, I just, I, I loved where you, you know, had mentioned that story on, you know, on Herman's podcast. And I was just like, man, there's like just two great lessons I think you can learn from there. And one is I didn't think of audiobooks like for pronunciation. So that <laughs> drove me nuts that I'm like trying to figure out. I'm like, why did I never think of that? Uh, so I just want to point that out to our audience that that's genius. If, you know, you're trying to write something I like, uh, I'm trying to write like historical um, urban fantasy, I would call it. I got Roman emperors. And empires and things mixed with like zombies and monsters and things. Oh, that sounds um, fun. <laughs> right. But but it's hard. It's hard, right? Because there's just too much information out there. And the other thing I want to mention was that, you know, you had actually found a book that you really liked, you know, and a topic and an author and message that person. And I just wanted to mention that, you know, like I I have been trying to find certain people. Um, so I actually went to different college lists and I tried finding papers and things with people. And I did message certain people for like, you know, Roman Empire, stuff like that, military history, um, the time period I was looking for, things like that. Um, and it was really difficult. So when I had heard you on Herman's podcast, I thought that's a really good idea because I have a lot of books on, you know, Roman military history and different things, things I wanted yeah. to put in the book, you know, from the historical, you know, or military aspect. And I'm like, why didn't I just get a hold of those authors because just like us right they want to talk about their book and that right. topic so i just think that those two things you know were just so good from that interview i just wanted to bring them up again because i definitely that helped me out as an author thinking okay i when i'm finished with these things i can go back now and use some audiobooks to help me and you know then probably go and talk to those people that i really enjoyed you know and have them help me with the research process so i just think that yeah. that was i think that was brilliant first of all uh, strategy and I, I just wanted to bring that up just because I think that's a great idea. Well, thank um, you. I, I wish I could take all the credit for it, but I honestly I was, can't. I had other people pushing me in that direction. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, I was, I was like sitting there. I was listening to the podcast on the way back. It was Labor Day weekend, I think it was, and we had gone to my, or maybe we just went to my mother last weekend after that. But I was just like, oh my gosh! And I was like, oh my gosh! I was like, this is really good. And I'm like, on my, you know, on the Bluetooth, my wife's like, uh, can you calm down? Because my son was sleeping. I was like, sorry. I was like, that's like, just a really good idea. And she wasn't keeping track of the podcast. She's doing her own thing. But I was like, that's such a good idea. I was like, I have these great ideas right now. So yeah, I definitely wanted to bring them up in case that helps somebody else out. But I think those are yeah. great ideas. All right. So personally, my favorite is talking to other authors uh, about their works in particular. So uh, what are your power legacy books about? And how did you come up with this idea? So... They are, they're a follow-up to the original Power series, and the original Power series was their father, the, the two main characters. It was their father's story when he was oh, a teenager, cool. and um, the entire idea for the world is that everybody 
who survived this apocalyptic thing that happened well over a hundred years ago. Uh, everybody that survived had superpowers of some kind mm. and they all oh, fell cool. into one of the four classifications of powers because I didn't want things to go, you know, X-Men wild where people were growing wings and who knows what. <laughs> um, it, I, there had to be rules, right? <laughs> so, but in that series, he doesn't have one. And so there's no place in society for him. And he wants to know what's wrong with him. And so it's his journey, what he finds out about himself and what he finds out about the structure of their society and, and how he fixes it ultimately. Um, and so he becomes this big iconic image to the people in the city. And now his, he's got kids and his kids are grown up in the powers legacy series like his his son is 19 and his daughter is 18 so it's you know quite a few years later um and they're still kind of living in this bubbled society they think that they're all that's left of humanity but their dad was never convinced that that was true mm. and he always believed that there had to be something else out there that it's it he didn't think it was possible for them to be all that was left and so they set up this, this company that, that his son, Gavin, who is one of the main characters, Gavin works for, uh, it's not a company, I guess, it's one of the government departments, but they do research and into technology and the world that's beyond their city, right? But their drones can only go so far. Mm. And Gavin is brilliant. And he is one of, he's the only person in the city that has multiple powers. Everybody else has one. And he ends up discovering this weird signal. And he's like, no, something's, something's not right with this, right? This is not an old signal. An old signal would just repeat on a loop. This is different. And so they put together this group, very small party of people. And the group goes out to investigate and try to figure out what's beyond the range of their drones. And that's when the rest of the series really takes off um, because they find out that they're not alone. They don't encounter just one, but two other societies. Hmm. Um, one of them is very uh, religious. They believe that someday the idols of creation and desolation will return and they will either break the world or remake it. And so Gavin kind of gets pulled into their society when he and his sister get separated in a big fight at the end of the first book. And his sister is captured and taken to this kingdom to be a tribute for the king because the king always marries a woman with powers because you got to keep the royal bloodline strong, right? Got to make sure so that she finds out that not everybody in their society has powers, that it's actually a special thing. And so she's taken there to basically compete for the king's hand. And she has no interest in this at all. And she's trying to find her way out of it to try to get back to her brother so that they can get back home again. Um, and that's like the entire, her entire story arc is not, well, it's that, but also finding out that she always thought that she wasn't special because her brother has all of these special gifts and he's super smart and she just has this one power. But as the series goes on, she starts to find out that she's got 
a lot more than one. In fact, she's more powerful than her brother is. Um, and so her discovering these powers, trying to figure out how to control them and and not destroy the world in the process, which <laughs> she does nearly do. Um, <laughs> Speaking of X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that's really cool. Sorry, there's a lot there. Um, I just, I, I think that's cool though, you know, in terms of, you know, bringing in different societies. I, I that's where I had originally um, interviewed Herman because I was working on a dystopian um, like society and some different things myself. And uh, I needed to pick somebody's brain, you know, so I'm not quite there yet, but um I did think of that, you know, I was like, I always really liked, um, like John Carter and Mars. I liked their, the different societies and, you know, peoples that you meet and things, but I always wonder that, you know, like in the future, like, you know, as a social studies teacher, I can't help it. Right. In terms of sociology, like how would these different groups of people, you know, be different? Um, you know, how would right. they believe systems or government, things like that. So that sounds really awesome. But I was just was curious, like in terms of, you know, like different powers, um, like what kind of different powers would, you know, somebody have like in terms of your world building? So <clears throat> if it's not a spoiler, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, well, I'm not going to tell you what Gavin and Paige are because they're not like everybody else. But there are even in these new places that they go to, everybody still falls into one of these four basic branches of power. And there's the four main categories. There's the divinics who are people who are more like divine powers. Like they can read people's auras. They can, you know, predict the future. They can read the stars and, and understand what's happening. Um, and then they also, some of them also have healing hands. Then there are the somatics who are more the body, right? So the people with muscle memory, people mm -hmm. who have enhanced strength, um, people who have other enhanced senses. Uh, you don't usually find people who have something from multiple, mm. you know, pieces. So if you have yeah. muscle memory, that's what you have. You don't have that plus strength. It's just that one thing. Um, and then there's the psionics who are the people who are more the mind, right? That's where you have the, the telepaths and the telekinetics and the clairvoyance, the, all of those people fall into that category. Um, and then there's the final one is naturalists who are the people who, who manipulate nature in some way. So oh, for cool. some people, it's being able to turn, you know, liquids into solids or vice versa, or, you know, being able to change the way that certain matter is constructed to make something else or, you know, in enhancing crops, um, so it's all very nature-based stuff. So as, as long as it has something to do with with organic materials, they can work yeah, yeah. with it. Oh, that's cool. I was just curious, like, you know, in terms of like that creation process, um, you know, did you like go from like X-Men or like a sci-fi like angle or did your D&D &D background kind of, you know, like come into play there? Or? No, not really. Um, you know, I can't even remember how I ended up classifying it this way. I think that when I was trying to figure out for that very first book where the powers were going to fall, I knew that that it would be really easy for, for superpowers to go overboard yeah, and, yeah. and just have things that were all over the place like you have in, in any of the Marvel DC universe, you know, 
And so I knew I had to construct rules. And so it took me a while to figure out how those rules were going to work. Um, and I, I can't, I honestly can't remember how I ended up deciding that it was going to be these four classifications. I think that I was kind of looking at some of my favorite superheroes mm. and trying to figure out, you know, if they were, if they were to be in my world, what would they be considered? Right. And so yeah. I think that that was where things started to fall into each of these four categories and not all of them did. And those ones I was like, well, now I know what kind of powers that I can't have in this. Right. Like, like things just started falling into place. Yeah. Um, and then once I had those four figured out, I broke it down even further within each to say, okay, within the naturalists, what can these people do? And so, you know, um, Miller, who's one of the side characters, he's, he has his own origin book now, but he is, he's different. He has electromancy. So he's a naturalist mm. that can manipulate electricity. Oh, um, cool. And he's really good at it. But he, when he was younger, there was an accident and he ended up somehow being given the powers of cellular activation, which were also naturalist powers. And he ended up being able to use those powers too. And the person that had that power before died. Hmm. And so his story is, was a lot of fun because, you know, he couldn't figure out how to make both of those powers work together. <laughs> they did not want to play nicely. Yeah. Um, but otherwise everybody else kind of just falls into one. And he was he was an exception, and Gavinet and Page are the exceptions also. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I just was curious because I feel like that's always like the thing, like you just mentioned, you know, like the I don't even know what I was doing recently. I was just like, this doesn't work because I was like everybody, you know, again, just yeah, if you have multiple powers, I was like, like it's one thing I think to have somebody who, you know, is really, you know, um, is just keen in one power or has a little bit more of you know an aura in that power or something but just to be able to do anything and then to be able to do multiple of those you know powers I, it, yeah just it just seems like a can of worms where you know like you know going brandon sanderson route it's just like you know it just it just gets too crazy after a while and yeah um yeah there has to be rules yeah. right there needs to be structure yeah. And so, yeah, totally. and the nice thing is when you, when you implement those rules, like me, me saying, you know, you, these, nobody can have some more than one power. Once you implement those rules, then you give them weaknesses too, because there's only so much that they can do. So it, it gives you more to play with in a way, because now you have all of these weaknesses because they can't do these other things. Yeah. No, totally. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, that rule set, I think it's always hard coming up with your rule set. Uh, but yes. I also think it's really hard to stick with it too. My friend's always like, I came up with these rules and now I really want to do this thing, but I can't because I have to stick to my rules after like three books. And I'm like, um, you know, he's always trying to figure out ways, you know, where he's not writing himself into a corner later, but at the same time, you know, being able to you know, to follow those rules. I don't think there's anything that bugs me more. Like, I, I mean, you know, obviously it's fantasy, it's sci-fi. I'll you know, if I can watch Jason Statham, you know, flip a car over and <laughs> transport her to and get rid of the bomb on the bottom of the car with, you know, the crane or whatever, you know, I think I can suspend my disbelief enough to, you know, 
to to think X, Y, and Z. But yeah, it just it does annoy me where I'm I'm just gonna bring it up just real fast. Everybody send me hate mail. That's fine. It just bugs me that Gandalf and them are able to transport, but yet we or with the Eagles and we just you know that just bugs me. It really I love I love Lord of the Rings. Hobbit's my favorite book of all time so far, and it just but it drives me nuts, you know. And um, I know Brandon Sanders talks a lot about that in his lectures and stuff uh, for BYU, but that just drives me nuts. Like once he brought it up, I was like I I can't get over that. And as a writer and a reader, I'm like. I I can suspend my disbelief, but to me that just like ruined the whole thing. Um, because I was like, why can't you at least get close enough? And there's all this strategy and stuff, but you know, it just you know, it would have made a good story, I get, but I wish that he hadn't have done, you know, been able to do that with like Gandalf's power or whatever. Um the movies yeah. obviously add more stuff to it, but even in the similarity, I know there's different things where it's like, why isn't this possible? sort of thing. But yeah, I think it's hard yeah. to at times stick to your own rule set but i do think you know most people i find you know like that you know if you just add on something new every time you're like okay there's really no rules then in this universe and you know really i think that's the problem with fantasy and sci-fi sometimes you know is you're just people think we can just do whatever which we can but that doesn't to a degree right like yeah exactly there's always limits and because there's limits as to how far the reader will go too you can't push too far so but that was when I wrote the original Power series, I wasn't planning on following it with this other one. Gotcha. Um, but well, Eugene is trying to figure out what makes him different from everybody else and why he doesn't have powers, he does end up learning why he doesn't. And he never gets one. Spoiler alert. He doesn't. It's impossible for him. It's, it's literally his, his DNA can't do it. So, but he finds out why his DNA can't do it. And that's actually the thing that makes him special. And so he finds out, uh, okay, tiny spoiler, but that he's a carrier for the next step, basically. Oh, that's cool. And so he his, he's told that his children could potentially have not just one, but multiple powers. Hmm. And so when I finally came around to the, powers legacy series and i was like oh i'm writing his children oh crap um i opened that can of worms already now i have to figure (laughs) out how to deal with it and so i was like well it actually gave me a lot of room to play especially since you know Paige had no idea what was going on with her and she couldn't understand why she had insomnia when she was growing up and why she always had these terrible nightmares and to her that was just a thing right like she had insomnia and she had nightmares didn't realize that she had the ability to dream Mm. and so she didn't didn't know that her body was trying to tell her something Um, and when once she figures that out she starts to learn how to use that to her advantage um so it, it was kind of fun watching her open the box and, yeah, yeah. and take the pieces out and learn how to play with them um but she also had nobody to teach her how to play with them so things go mm. wrong probably more than they go right <laughs> which makes a good story right, right. <laughs> <laughs> i just saw a quote on that like yesterday it's like i kind of feel better now since my writer friend told me that my life isn't garbage it's just i'm the main character and things just keep happening to me to keep the story longer or whatever. And I was just like, oh, man. I was like, whoever is watching my story or reading it is having a blast right now. So, yeah, <laughs> I thought that was really good. Um, I just was curious, just real fast. Um, 
it's like you and Daniel Harrison had both like he has his moth series and I think it's like five books I read and it was awesome but then I really liked the next book was like about their like the two main characters like their daughter sorry spoiler it's been a decade so but um <laughs> yeah but like I was just curious because like I read the first book and I'm thinking oh there's no way I'm gonna like these characters as much as you know like the original ones um but I really really did and I really enjoyed their daughter's character and some of her companions um but I was just curious you know in terms of like you know, you have your books and then you're writing your own legacy, essentially. Uh, so I was just curious, you know, what that experience, like, did you find, and you said, you know, you had a couple things that were easier, a couple things that were harder, but like, you know, did you find that, you know, you enjoyed doing that more and developing the world and the characters more, or did you find that it was harder than you thought? It was harder than I thought at first. Hmm. Um, once I had decided I was going to write it, I knew that I couldn't write it in the same place because everybody was familiar with the society and now it's supposed to be this utopia instead of a dystopia. And so I had to take them out of the box, like move them away from, from home. And once I figured out what they could encounter along the way, then it became a lot of fun. Um, yeah. And I, I had... <laughs> I had some of the basic ideas for the overall story figured out. And so as long as each book kind of hit where it was supposed to, I just let the story unfold itself. And it was yeah. a lot of fun just watching that happen. My my husband doesn't completely get it. He's like, <laughs> this is you and you're writing it. I don't understand how you don't know these things. Like, and I'm like, the characters develop their own personalities, especially yeah. if you don't lock them in those boxes they they develop their own personalities and they grow and so as long as i'm leading them from point a to point b i let them have that organic growth along the way and i feel like that makes them better characters overall yeah, yeah it makes them like more real i had a character that just absolutely ticked me off in my first fantasy book and i was like so close to having the rough draft done and to send it to alpha readers. And then he's like, Hey, I'm not in this book. And then I'm like, what do you mean you're not in this book? And then the woman he's with like, yeah, I'm not in this book either. We're together romantically, but we're not in this book. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's really inconvenient. And then um, I realized I still needed those two characters. And then the one character molded and actually he was, I had to do a bunch of different world, but I mean, it was just like, it's been a mess, but my friend's like, it's better though. I'm like, it has been a lot better. I'm like, but man, are they annoying? Cause you know, it's almost like, you know, it's almost like my son. Sometimes he just, I, I just want to change him lately. He just wants to roll over all the time. You know, I'm like, just let me do this thing. It'll be a lot easier. So yeah, I agree. They just tend to, but again, you know, I think that's where the best characters come from, you know, or where they, like you said, they, so, you know, develop there organically. Is, my favorite character in the Powers Legacy series is Zephyr. And he is one of the princes. He's also like the captain of their, their armada. Um, and he wasn't supposed to show up until the very end of the first book. Mm. Like he was gonna, he was gonna develop as a character from the second book on in the series. And he insisted on not waiting. He's like, no, like, like there was just this voice in my head that kept telling me that he had the story that he had to establish. He wanted people to know why he was doing the things that he was doing before he did them so that people didn't hate him. Um, <laughs> so I ended up, and that was when I was 
probably a little over halfway through writing the first book. Jeez. And so I had to go back and figure out, all right, so where does his point of view fit into the story to still get everybody to that same point at the end? And and so, yeah, I, I had the same kind of thing, right, where I had to kind of go back and reanalyze the story and figure out how I was going to get everybody from point A to point B now that he was insisting on coming out. I kind of wanted him to be the villain at the end, right? I mm. wanted people at the end of the first book to be like, oh, this guy. And then in the second book, they could have the fun to get to know him and be like, mm. oh, this guy, right? Like like their perspective would change, but yeah, yeah. but he didn't know. He, he wanted people to know why he was doing what he was doing. And yeah, yeah. I think it turned out pretty well. Um, he's, he's, I'm supposed to like Gavin and Paige the most and I do love them, but- Zephyr is definitely my favorite in the series. I just want to point out because I've talked to a lot of authors about this over the last couple, like really like over the last year in particular with season two, and it seems to be popping up more and more where people are just listening to their characters. And but I have had a few people who are like, oh, I didn't listen and I did the original thing. And you know, then I don't know. I feel like, you know, those are those are to me the times where I've talked to other authors and creators where when they didn't listen to that character those are the times where the characters or whatever they didn't do felt flat with what they did do yeah um you know and then they're like god i really wish i had done that that thing that the character told me so i just tend that's why i was like i said to my friend i called him my best friend i was like i was fuming i was yelling i was whatever and he's like are you okay like he thought there was something wrong with my wife and i or work or something you know i was like this <laughs> I was like, this stupid character changed his name, changed his whole entire like D and D class, and I had to do all this research on like six or seventeenth century like thief uh, breakers and police and just all these things. And I was just like, oh, and he goes, God, that just sounds so cool. I'm like, shut up, like don't side with him, you know? You know what I mean? Like, you don't understand the stress. <laughs> yeah, and and then the other one, I'm like, don't get me started on her, and you know, her character class was still there, and they were still like, you know buddy cop kind of thing I was just like fine whatever but but you know the more I like went into it I was like oh my gosh I was like this is a lot better so I just but I tend to listen to people that know more than me and I just more and more hear that you know so I'm just so happy to hear authors saying you know listen to my characters because to me that's when the good stuff always happens and that's what I'm yeah. reading characters you know like here's where I'm like oh that's really cool you know and that's when I think people really enjoy the story more because I think it it's like I just talked to my class today, you know, I want them to pick a project of something they really, you know, means a lot to them. So I did like a couple podcast examples. I'm like, I could talk about podcasting all day or authors I've met or their books or characters or processes. And I'm like, otherwise, you're going to do something, you're just going to phone it in, you know, and I think that readers pick up on that, you know, that you're, yep. you want to do that cool thing, but you didn't. And, you know, they're like, okay, and then they just get to the next thing that you really did enjoy writing. So I think it definitely, you know, shows up in our work a, a lot more than we think. So yeah, I had that I, I did have a problem with Gavin because he is um he's neurodivergent. Mm. He's very anti-social. He doesn't do well with people he doesn't know. And now he's in this entire place with nobody that he knows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um and so I had a, a very hard time getting him to cooperate. Like if they put him in a room, right? They're trying to be accommodating people and they give him a place to stay, they give him a bed, and he hides in this room. And he was just refusing to cooperate. I could, I, it was like pulling teeth to get him to do anything. And, and I'm like, I had to have this little pep talk with him, right? Like, like 
come on, man. Like, I know that this is hard for you, but you also want to get back to your sister. And that can't happen unless you step out that door and do something. Like, she's not going to come to your rescue. You have got to rescue yourself. Let's go. And it was still, there were still points when he was like, nope, not doing that. Nope, not doing that. And I'm like, well, you have to. There were points when I had to push him along. Otherwise, his story would have just been him sitting in a room hiding from everyone. Um, Nobody wants to read that. (laughs) Right. right. I always like that with like the Hobbit movies in particular, you know, where they kind of brought that part of Gandalf pretty much like trapping, you know, Bilbo into going. <laughs> like I always I just always like that because I, I just now as a father, I'm like, God, I do that all the time to my kid. I'm like, you will like this thing. Like today I'm like, you want to go to daycare, you have to put on clothes, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. And sometimes I feel it's how characters are. They just need a, a they are characters are like babies, right? And if yeah, you yeah. want them to to learn how to to adapt in the world, well you, you want to keep them away from falling down the stairs. But yeah. at the same time, you got to let them explore. And so it's like we were talking about putting them in boxes. It hinders them. You got just like with a child, right? You have to let the child explore. You just kind of keep an eye on them and make sure you're nudging them in the right direction so they're not hurting themselves. Or <laughs> I guess in the case of characters, that part doesn't matter as much. But <laughs> <laughs> sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, not sorry. <laughs> no, it's totally true. Yeah, it's hilarious. I yeah, I, I just now I'm gonna just treat them like my kid. <laughs> <laughs> I can't get that out of my head now. Um, I was just curious for uh, as we're wrapping up here, like in terms of powers, like you know, so you mentioned quite a few. I'm curious that like if you could pick one of the powers that you made up, which one would it be and why? Oh, I don't. I you know that's a really good question, and I should want a bunch of them. But I've also seen what happens when people use them. And so there. I think there's a, there's, I'm, I'm looking over here because this is actually where my list is. Um, and oh, I'm like, well, cool. what would I pick? I'm definitely not telepathy. I think that <laughs> psychometry would be pretty cool. So that's like the ability when you, you can read the history of a person or an object through touch. I that think that cool. that would be kind of neat to have. Yeah. yeah. Um, again, it could be abused. It could be dangerous. And if you don't know how to control it, it could also be a detriment to yourself. But yeah, yeah that, that one would cool. probably be fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be awesome. Cause I think you could like, you know, like pick something up and, you know, you, you know, they would say like, know your enemy, uh, keep your friends closer. Like you can just pick up something and, you know, get their, their reading. And I don't know, you could either be really friendly about it and, you know, help people, or you could really be devious about it. And, you know, get whatever you want out of a situation. I think there's a lot of, I mean, that's why like I love it in Star Wars. I mean, so like Qu- Quinlan Boss is like one of my favorites. I just, I think they, that writers yeah. that originally did him with his first mini series with Dark Horse did just such a good job. Cause I was like, what is this stupid Jedi power? And then, but like they used it and I was like, oh my God, that's so cool. That's and cool. I mean, yeah, they just did such a good job with it. It was really cool. Yeah. Eugene, in the first series, he had a friend that he made along the way that she could do that she could she could read the history of a person as long as they were willing Mm. through touch and so he has another friend who he's not sure what happened to her and she's not sure what happened to her either so he decides that he's gonna use this power 
he has this other friend come over and say, hey, this is the thing we want to do. Maybe we can get some answers and mm. turned out pretty, pretty interesting for everybody in the in the end. Yeah, yeah, that'd be interesting. I think that'd be an interesting one to write. I think that would be really cool. But yeah, I think it's always interesting to read how different authors and writers, you know, like kind of kind of use that power in different ways. I think that's what makes, you know, the, the different genres so fascinating is you can have the same power, but use it in different ways. And it's like situational and, you know, how you use it. It's the same tool, right? But how you use that tool can be very different. So I think that's really interesting. But yep. I think that's a great, that's a great answer. I, I was thinking about it myself. I was like, I don't really know. Cause we were just talking about it in class yesterday or on Friday. So the kids were asking me, so I thought I'd send you that one. So <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so for that last one there, um, do you have any news, updates, current projects, things like that that you can share with us? I am always doing something. I can't oh. not do something. It literally drives me insane to not be doing something. Yeah, so amen. I have, um, I've been doing some mini books for the, the Princes and the Kingdom of Tides from the Powers oh. Legacy series and kind of getting a little bit of their history. And it's been a lot of fun. Um it breaks my heart a little bit <laughs> seeing how their stories unfolded before you even get to the main power series, but, but it's, it's a lot of fun. So I have those that I've been working on um, and I am going to be getting ready to release Miller's origin story. And he is everybody's favorite snarky asshole sidekick. You know, he's, he's the guy that nobody likes, but everybody loves. So there's that. And then I have my big, epic dark fantasy series that I am I'm working on I haven't started writing yet but I have the main characters and I have the a lot of the lore is already written and so I'm I'm just about ready to get started on that one that one's going to be a lot of fun yeah that sounds awesome I remember we were mentioned that a little bit uh, with Herman. I was like, oh, this looks really cool. So uh, yeah, that's really neat. Well, we, we, we have a, quite a few of your books already to kind of, you know, keep us going, you know, until you're done, you know, with that series. So I'm really excited. I love your covers, by the way. I just, they were, as soon as I had to pull over and when I was listening to it, I had to like look them up um, as you and Herman <laughs> were talking and I, I added them to Kindle. So I'm really excited to uh, to get started there. But I, I want to thank you so much for coming on. Like I said, I was so happy that, you know, we could connect so quickly and, you know, and get you on so much earlier in the season. So that was super cool. So, um, but there's anything I could do, you know, in the meantime, before this comes out in December, um, you know, just let me know. And, and I'd love to help you as, you know, as, as much as possible. I always tell people, tag me, email me, whatever you got. I will send it to the moon and back and put on all of our <laughs> channels. So, but yeah, it's, it's awesome to talk to you. And if there's anything, you know, you want to talk about in the future, I have some seminars and things that'll come up in the winter. I'd love to have you and Herman on and a couple other people at the same time and kind of ask some different questions and see where we're at and what you guys come up with. So well, that'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Star. And, you know, you have a good rest of the day and I will hopefully talk to you really soon on social media. Yeah. Have a good one. You too. Thanks. Thanks. Bye.